Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I want to speak to you from the heart, from a place of conscience as well. I want to talk to you about the ongoing and prolonged suffering and loss of life in Gaza, in Israel, and um, the oppression of Palestinian people widespread. I don't ever want it to be a question that I would ever not be against the oppression of any group of people, that I would ever stand on the side of the oppressor. I never want to ever have anyone think that. I have been silent about the situation for a month and there's XYZ reason about that. And I made a TikTok about this that I kind of wanted to just expand my ideas on here. If you haven't seen it, I would go watch it. There was a lot of uh, fear of misusing my platform. I was also confused for a long time about, um, I grouped in well-researched, academic, journalistic activism with solidarity. I confused them for being the same thing. And they're not. And that kind of stunned me and paralyzed me into silence. I will admit that. I was nervous to talk about it because I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. This is too fucking serious of an issue to misspeak or to spread misinformation or to speak over or for someone. When all that aside, what really was being asked of me um, is to show solidarity. And so I want to take a moment on my biggest platform, which is this podcast, to say that I stand with the people of Palestine. I stand for the liberation of Palestinian people. It is every day to log on to social media and be just inundated with graphic, unimaginable violence and loss and grief. It's just, there are no words. And I, I cannot offer enough love and just comfort and, and solidarity, you know, to, to sit here and say that from this dinky set in Los Angeles, I'm watching what's happening and I'm enraged and I'm grieving and I am mourning and I'm devastated and I feel helpless. That's part of it too. When you feel helpless, the last thing you want to do is, is, you know, talk about it. But visibility 
is a resource in and of itself. And I can offer that. I can offer visibility. I can offer solidarity. And I'm sorry I didn't do it sooner. The outpouring of rage and passion online and and anger at what's happening, I would argue needs to be dedicated and focused on our elected officials. We live in a democracy, albeit inherently flawed. We live in a democracy where we have elected officials who were elected and put in power to represent us. And if we feel misrepresented, if we feel underrepresented in foreign affairs, these officials have public phone numbers and emails. There are scripts available online that you can berate them with to express your disdain and your rage. Unfortunately, that's that's one of the only ways we'll see actionable change. I'm recording this as of Monday, November 13th. And this episode was recorded before that. So I, I just wanted to offer an apology, um, if you'll have me, for not speaking up sooner and for any uh, disappointment I may have caused, you know, if, if you expected more from me. That's a, it's a terrible feeling. But I don't want to center myself. This needs to be all eyes on Palestine right now, where the real activism is happening. I would encourage you to follow journalists that are on the ground, people who are in Gaza. We need to be listening to them. I would also hope that we're at a point in this conversation where I can express my desire to stand in solidarity with the people of Palestine and that not meaning or suggesting or condoning anti-Semitism of any kind. There's a rise of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia in the United States. And it's just, it's disgusting and it's scary. So I want that to be said too. I just wanted to share that I am experiencing part of this collective sense of helplessness and hopelessness, but it doesn't have to be hopeless. I'm going to include a phone number in the description of this episode where if you don't know the name of your senators or your congressmen, that's okay. It's never too late to learn. Um, And you can reach out to them. I love you guys, and thank you for listening, and um, I hope this episode kind of offers a brief reprieve of the heaviness we're all feeling. So thank you for listening, and um, let's get into the episode. Direct from the Broski Nation headquarters in Los Angeles, California, this is the Broski Report with your host, Brittany Broski. Go ahead and put on Do Not Disturb. So I am not disturbed. Hey guys, welcome back to I Have a Kicker Sore on My Lip and it's driving me fucking crazy. I've been gnawing, I've been eating on it. It's like winter, so everything's dry. I wake up every morning with bloody boogers and my lips crusting, peeling off my face. Yeah. <laughs>
tearing at my skin, peeling off my skin. I have permanent under eye bags. Wait, it's kind of slay if you think about it. It's kind of slay. I haven't seen the sunlight in literal months. I can't tan. I just get moly. I'm. It's so. It's pale to the point of like you know those blobfish, <laughs> those blobfish where you can see through them. They're translucent. And let me ask you this: What's the difference between translucent and opaque? I've always kind of thought they were uh, interchangeable. Translucent. Let me just think about that really quick. Light passes through it. Okay. But opaque also means there's a sort of like, okay, this is, I'm not looking at the definition yet. There's a sort of like milkiness. <laughs> there's a sort of like cummy milkiness <laughs> to being opaque, right? Opaque is always like, like eyes that have been glazed over or like uh, uh, cataracts is like opaque, right? Let's see. Translucent objects allow some light to pass through them while opaque objects do not allow any light to pass through. Oh, oh. The object is opaque. We see light on its surface, but we can't see through it. The object is transparent. We can see light shining through it. And what's on the other side of it? The object is translucent. We can see light shining through it, but we can't see clearly what's on the other side of it. I have grown up my entire life thinking that opaque meant uh, kind of like see-through. Okay. Would you look at that? Transparent, translucent, opaque. Opaque blocks all the light passing through. It's not possible to see through opaque materials. I'm like, <laughs> I just caught myself in the act of confirmation bias. I was like, I know that's not right because I've heard it somewhere. So I was actively, I was like, okay, all these say the same thing. It's all like physics and scientifically accurate. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let me find one obscure <laughs> Reddit thread that's like, actually opaque means this. I'm going to be like, I've been telling you. When you catch yourself doing confirmation bias, fuck. When you catch yourself turning into your mother, fuck. <laughs> that meme of the emoji in half light that's like, when I realize I'm acting like my father. <laughs> when I realize I'm acting just like my father. Shit. Okay. What was I talking about? Opaque. What on God's green earth was I talking about? Oh, my skin. <laughs> Okay, so my skin is translucent. That's what I was talking about. Translucent to the point where, you know how like when you were a kid, if you would shine a flashlight on your finger and it would illuminate red on the other side? For all my whiteies, all, all, my, all my pinkies, all my big fat whiteies out there. I used to shine like a flashlight on my finger and it would illuminate red. That is if you held up like, I don't know, a lighthouse. If I were to stand, if I were to hover and levitate in front of a lighthouse... I would illuminate pink. All the fishermen down on the dock would say, Oh my fucking God! What is that red hovering orb? That's just my naked body being being strung up by my armpits in front of a lighthouse. What am I talking about? Um, I did this writing exercise in high school, talking about fishermen uh, and lighthouses. I did this writing exercise where it was like a creative writing thing. And there were three prompts. It was auto-generated and you had to create a short story from those. And I think the words were like, lighthouse is one, fog and dog. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I cracked my knuckles and I said, these Wattpad skills are going to use. Also, some of y'all clocked on my character AI videos that I do on YouTube. They're like, some of the comments are like, 
She is a little too good at describing her actions in asterisks. That I know she used to <laughs> read and write fan fiction. And guess what? You're right. Okay? I know how to describe and give context to an action and a character. I have read way too many fantasy novels. I have read way too much fan fiction. I have read way too much smut. I know how to describe what a character is doing. Okay? He smirked devilishly. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, he did. Okay? Anyway, opaque. <laughs> what the fuck? I thought opaque meant milky. Oh, I wrote this short story. And I remember my teacher was like, <laughs> she was like, Brittany, can you say after class? And I was like, oh God, am I in trouble? And she was like, this is really good. <laughs> she was like, I really enjoyed reading your creative like short story. I was like, thank you. And we sat there and talked for a little bit. She was like, I really, really liked it. What kind of books do you read? I remember talking to her about that. Crazy memory. I loved high school. You know, there are those few teachers in your whole life that will go there with a student. Like, will will kind of pass that boundary of just like, I'm your teacher, I grade your papers, to like, this is a mentor. You know, like, I had so many in uh, college at A&M, specifically and only in the liberal arts, because I was obviously liberal arts. My Spanish professor, I think I've talked about him before. He changed my fucking life, dude. Like Dr. Curry at Texas A&M, he changed my life in so many ways. He like instilled a passion for learning and being curious in me. You know, a lot of people go into college thinking, this is just grades. I'm going to pump and dump. I'm going to turn and burn. I'm going to like memorize all this, take the test, you know, get whatever grade and then forget all of it. Spanish, the course I took with him, I think it was my spring semester or freshman year, completely turned that on its head. Like in high school, I took AP uh, European history and I took AP art history uh, and I was in all AP classes. I was always, that was my thing. Like grades were my thing because that was how I could prove sort of my worth. When you have no social currency in high school, we've talked about this before, guys. How, you know, like if you weren't hot or popular, you had to have a skill somewhere else. You had to have something that was like, this is my thing. For some people that was band. For some people that was athletics, you know, like really throwing your whole soul into being a good athlete. For some kids that was theater, for some, you know, whatever. For me, uh, it was grades, number one, and then theater. And then after that, uh, uh, yeah, that was it. Just got distracted. <laughs> My mind started wandering over here. <laughs> hey, we're back. We're back over here, guys. Hey. <laughs> when I, I, I started talking and lost my own train of thought, I'm over here. Okay. Yeah, it was grades and then theater. And so when I got to college, I was like, grades, grades, grades. But that doesn't necessarily equate retention. It does not equal retention. Okay, when you learn something, okay, I've learned it. I'm going to ace the test. Now let's move on. Spanish was the first time in my life where I was learning things and moving forward in my academic career, building on that. You know, like there was never this building block of my academic career where I was genuinely interested. Like to a certain degree, you have to know, you know, algebra to do algebra two. You have to know pre-cal to do calculus, all that sort of thing where there's building blocks there, but I don't give a fuck about math. With Spanish, obviously learning a language, it's that way, but it started this sort of snowball effect of, okay, I care, yes, about the syntax and the grammar and the vocabulary and being able to communicate with my professor and my peers. But Dr. Curry was the one that was like, he used to make us memorize lyrics to Spanish songs. 
and we would have to like do it in class. And one of the first ones he made us listen to was uh, Guantanamera. And I was like, that was for the first time ever where I sat down and I looked at the lyrics to a song in Spanish. And I was like, holy shit. First of all, I understand it. Second of all, what's the story here? And so he made us kind of go into the whole background of it. And then he made us, uh, I keep saying made, we watched movies. It was part of the syllabus as he taught a Spanish cinematography class as well. Um, I never ended up taking it. I wish I had, but he made us watch movies completely in Spanish. And he was like, you can watch it the first time with English subtitles. The second time you're watching it with Spanish subtitles only. And I was like, okay. And so that it's more of that, you know, it's like, that's how I learned about, uh, Gael Garcia Bernal and then, uh, Diego Luna, because they were in that movie. What's it fucking called? Uh, y tu mamá también. They were in that movie together. And, uh, we watched that. We watched a couple films that were kind of risque for my little 20-year-old brain. I mean, you're an adult, but like, whoa, you know? But he was also the one that sort of taught me to look at, it's not a movie, it is a film, and everything in this film has been artistically chosen for a reason. Every frame, every song, every change in demeanor from the actor, everything is a choice and it is intentional. And he really, I mean, that's not like a, ooh, grand revelation. But when you look at art through that lens of everything here was intentional. You know, you didn't stumble upon this. Uh, it really kind of changed my relationship with art as something to be appreciated and studied. And it changed my relationship with Spanish media. You know, I, I don't, it is so common as an American and I probably like Europeans, my European fans and my Canadian fans can't really relate to this, of this specific phenomenon of American individualism, you know, and uh, the Americentric worldview where you're taught America is the number one nation in the world. We're a superpower. We're the greatest country on earth. Back-to-back -back world champions. Da -da -da -da. President Trump, Donald if you can Trump, hear me. Please, please Donald Trump. <laughs> Please save me. Save, save us, me. President Trump. Please save me. Trump 2021. You remember that video? <laughs> when that girl was like, let's get it, y'all. We Okay, we lost the 2020 election. Trump 2021. Let's get it. Hey, that's not an election year. Hey, lady, that's actually not going to be an election year. God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com marathon. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. So when you have that mindset, also specifically for me, my family is riddled with uh, veterans. 
my dad is an Air Force vet. My grandpa is a Vietnam vet. It's like, I have always been fed this, lack of a better term, propaganda of exactly what I was saying, of, of we're the greatest country on earth. This class, how sad is that, that this class was the first time I ever had a sentient thought that was like, oh yeah, every other country on this planet has their own media and film and music. And it's beautiful. And I would argue oftentimes it's way more rich. Of course it's more rich and more beautiful than American culture and American media. Because yes, American media is a, a beautiful melting pot amalgamation of so many different cultures and influences and whatever, yes, but it is distinctly and uniquely American in that sense. And it kind of lacks a a tradition and it lacks a unified sense of community that every other country on earth, I would argue, probably has. And it's sad and it's embarrassing to admit that that's the first time I kind of realized that. I was like 19, 20 years old where I was like, oh my God, we were watching Mexican films and Mexican art is so, so rich. It is so, and it's colorful. And then that contrasted with Spain, Spanish film and art and kind of, I don't know, I could talk about this for, do you guys care? How Spain is obviously conquistadora, like they are the colonizers how different that is like Spanish media, even Spanish TV and film in 2023 is different from uh, contemporary Mexican film. Uh, and not even to mention like Argentinian, Venezuelan, like all of these, there's so many distinctly beautiful and different cultures in South America. And so this was the first time that he was introducing me to Guillermo del Toro and all these directors that are so incredibly important and successful because I had never taken a second to care about film. Okay. I wasn't really raised in a household like that. I was not raised in a household that appreciates art in that sense. And it's funny because Stanley was my editor, Stanley and creative director. He was, he grew up like going to art museums and you know, his family cre uh, uh, collected art and uh, he's a, a film buff and all this shit. And like, I just, the first time we started talking about stuff, I was like, I did not grow up like you did. I am slowly realizing because he's from Chicago. I'm from the South. It's just such a distinctly different walk of life. He grew up with liberal parents. Obviously I did not. I grew up very religious. He grew up agnostic, even atheist, I would argue, where religion's kind of a joke to him. It's like corny. And to me, it's like <laughs> world ending devastating. And so in the context and conversation of like film specifically, I grew up, you know, with like Marvel movies and like I saw Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. And I thought that was the best movie I had ever seen. Ocean's Eleven, you know, and my dad loves movies like my dad loves movies, but there is a soft spot for movies like Top Gun and Star Wars and, you know, Fletch, Chevy Chase movies, Jim Carrey movies. Those are the ones that, like, me and my dad would bond over. You know, the ones that are kind of, like, personality-defining. And not so much the artsy, Lady Bird, King's Speech, Argo, those sort of movies. My dad will watch them and he'll enjoy them. But he's like, you know, Meh. 
you know, he, we don't really talk about those. We talk about Star Wars. The, the only time I really go to the theaters is with my family when there's a new Star Wars release, there's a new Marvel release. You know, and it's like a big deal because it's fun. It's fun. So it, it was very cool, like going to college and first of all, being able to watch a movie in a different language and understand it for the most part, like 80% understand it. That is such a cool feeling. And I know I'm preaching to the fucking choir for all my bilingual followers. Like obviously, and I always talk about this too, where when white people speak two languages, it's respected and it's heralded and it's celebrated as this like, wow, she is so smart. But when non-white people do it, it's like expected. You know, it's like, of course you should. Of course you should know English. The double standard there, crazy by the way. Hey, that's actually going to be called racism and xenophobia. By, By the way, if you weren't familiar with the terms, and so I always try to point that out of like, this isn't some learning a second language. I think everyone should learn at least a second language. And once you open that part of your brain to be receptive to seeing life through different eyes, seeing life through different eyes, imagine what could come after that. You know, I, I also had a professor at AM who he was a polyglot. He spoke six languages. And I asked him about it one time. I went to office hours because I was just like, how? You know, like Spanish is so much fun and, and I have such a respect and love for the language, but it's hard. It is hard to completely, I mean, think about it. The English sentence structure, imagine swapping that around completely of our, where we know to place verbs and descriptors and articles and adjectives to completely be like, okay, everything you know, forget it. We're going to completely redo the sentence structure. And in doing that, it kind of rewires your brain into thinking in a different way. There was a time right when I graduated college and I was like fluent, fluent. I was dreaming in Spanish. That shit is real, dude. I always heard people say that. Oh, you know, you're fluent. You start dreaming in a second language. I literally used to. And now I don't anymore because I don't practice. I've not practiced in so long. One of my New Year's resolutions. Okay. One of my New Year's resolutions is I'm going to find, and I don't know where to start. So if you guys actually have any, you guys actually probably do have recommendations for this. I, I want a Spanish tutor. I thought about, honest to God, enlisting, <laughs> not enlisting, enrolling, <laughs> enlisting. I go to, <laughs> I go to the fucking uh, DOD. What am I talking about? Uh, hello? 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 <laughs> I was going to enroll in a class at either like Pepperdine or USC or UCLA of like uh, Spanish. And I wanted to see if they would let me do, you know, like I'm not on a, a pro, like a program. I'm not looking to get a second degree. I just wanted to take classes to have that as a weekly regiment, uh, you know, and to be tested and to have that, the high stakes of there being an exam, of you failing an exam. I need to study for this exam. You know, like I need to, I also miss the structure of, of having college classes every week. Yeah, it got fucking miserable by the time I was a senior, but like to go back to that schedule, I really do, it was really good for me. And uh, I lack a routine in my life. So I think that's one of my, my resolutions is I'm gonna find either a private Spanish tutor to practice three times a week, bare minimum. And hopefully by the end of 2024, I'll be fluent again. That's that's a real wish of mine. Because it sucks. It sucks. We I was in Spain in June. And obviously I, I can get us around. And in my head, I know 
what I want to say and how I want to say it. But when you haven't practiced like the placement of the tongue in the mouth and the pronunciation and, you know, like I was stuttering over my words and I, and I got nervous, I got embarrassed. And I think that that's, that's part of it. I kept reminding myself that like, it's okay to be embarrassed. You're speaking in a second language. Like that's not your language. You're going to mess up. And Spanish people are so nice. You know, they'll, they'll sit there and they'll help you. And I'll, I'll ask too. I'm like, can you correct me? I don't, I don't remember. And they're so nice, but it's just, it's embarrassing. I don't want to be embarrassed. I studied this shit, dude. I know this shit. It's just rusty. Anyway, that's one of my resolutions. Back to what I was saying though. Dr. Curry and AM really opened my eyes to uh, the world of foreign language film. Isn't that the Oscar nom category? Uh, foreign language film. Then when Stanley and I started becoming like really good friends, he was like, you should watch Parasite. And I was like, Paris, it, that's in Korean. Like, I don't speak Korean. He was like, watch it. And I was like, okay, fine. Watch it. Hey, one of the best movies I've ever seen. Hey, one of the best movies I've ever seen. I had to shoot him a text like, I hate, I hate to look a white man in the eye and tell him he was right. <laughs> God, I hate it. But I had to. I really, really enjoyed it. And that's so not my, my realm. That's not my milieu. I don't really do film reviews i'm definitely more of a a book and like painting type of person i'm actually number one is music i'll review the fuck out of an album that's sort of my thing film is very low on the list for me we also studied uh in my spanish class we studied uh luis buñuel who was a collaborator of salvador dali and they made some of the first surrealist films together where You've heard me talk about surrealism a lot before on both my YouTube channel and here. There is not a point to surrealism. When you put it in context of World War One, the period between World War One and World War Two, and the loss and avoidable tragedy of the First World War, it left a lot of families broken. It, uh, it left a lot of families without their children. And how do you cope? How do you make sense of that? How do you accept that as a truth of something that happened? How do you find justification for it? And how do you move on in your life? The answer is you don't. So surrealism was born out of this idea of the absurdity of what these wars put people through. And in that context, when you understand there's no purpose, there's no like larger plot to be understood, that's the point of view of this filmmaking of Luis Buñuel and, and Dali is it's just imagery for the sake of imagery that when you think about it, this is the 30s, 40s. Uh, I think that, that these there, there's a specific film I'm thinking about called Un Chant Andalou, an Andalusian dog. And it's just a montage of confusing imagery and kind of disturbing especially when you think about film around this time. But there's a cool thing around the 30s and 40s too. We're seeing Nosferatu. You know, we're seeing this interest in horror uh, uh, that's being explored also through the lens of surrealism. And so it's very, it was jarring to see for the first time. And, oh my God, girl, I have tea on Dali. <laughs> ah! 
I have tea on Salvador Dali. Everyone's like, oh, melting clock. It's on my fucking set, bitch. It's right here. Oh, the melting clock. Oh, the little ants. You know, oh, persistence and memories. So iconic. Yes, it's iconic. Yes, he is one of the defining arti- artists of the surrealist movement. And people are obsessed with surrealism because it does not make sense. And we have to make sense. Okay? Humans, we have got to make sense. We've got to find sense. Sometimes you don't. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I got a, a, an essay, a video essay recommendation on my YouTube homepage. Was Dali a fascist? Imagine my shock. Imagine my face crack. And so I do move forward with clicking on this video. Oh my God! Dali was a fascist! <sighs> okay, here's, it's complex lore. So buckle in. If you're driving, hands off the wheel, okay? I, I need you to clasp your hands in your lap, close your eyes, and really listen to what I'm about to say. If you care. Do you guys care? Please say yes. I'm about to explain to you why Dali was a fucking Nazi. Okay. <laughs> This is my special interest of the week. This video, like, changed the course of my week. Okay, Dali. Obviously, he's a member uh, around this time of the Surrealist Movement and all of these sort of uh, collectives in Spain and in France and wherever the fuck he studied. And, uh, of course, he was a character. A little nugget before I kind of get into it is that his crazy mustache, you know, he always, the infamous mustache, put it up here. Everyone immediately could recognize this as a Dali stash, but what you come to find out is that it was, like I was talking about, an artistic choice, of course, because he was very inspired by influential men with mustaches, okay? Now, do you know who I'm about to fucking talk about? Charlie Chaplin and, ding, 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 Adolf Hitler, Okay. Dolly had an obsession with this sort of doomed mission that Hitler had. This purpose, quote unquote, that was, of course, doomed to fail. World domination. You know, I, like everything that Hitler stood for, Dolly was, was obsessed with how maybe deep down, probably deep down, he had to have known, Hitler had to have known that that would be how it ended. You know, that that he would meet his demise. It would never, it would never happen in the way that he wanted it to. So from an artistic standpoint, I think that was Dali's fascination with it. However, it went so much deeper than that. I would really recommend you watch this video that is Dali a fascist because holy fuck, 
in the beginning of this video, I was like, you know, this navel gazing, like looking at everything as art. Uh, that's so like, uh, of course, fucking Dali would think that. Then it gets worse. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. He was like, he started talking about, you know, Aryan and this and that. Okay, Dali, you're scaring me. Okay, Dali, why the fuck are you talking like that? And then it became this like elitist immediate jump to elitist of there are category A type people and there's category B type people who are lesser than. And he really believed that. And it just kept getting worse the older he got to the point where the surrealists held a trial to kick him out. And he was able to fucking mind game word weasel his way out of it. And uh, I think they kept him in. And then at a certain point he, he was kicked out permanently. But yeah, it's this gradual decline of, of Dali as this, you know, influential cultural figure spearheading the surrealist movement to like a literal fascist. And I think that's so, that jump is crazy. Also think about this at the same time, Picasso's on the rise. And by the way, let me just disclaim this really quick. Pablo Picasso, Salvador Dali, both shithead, awful people, terrible people. Both of them held incredibly harmful and damaging opinions on the world and the people within the world. So let me just throw that out there. And I hope that in a context like this, you know, and I've talked about so many problematic men on this podcast. And it's this evergreen conversation of, can you separate the art from the artist? I'm not the one that's going to fucking give you an opinion on that. But with Ernest Hemingway, you know, him being a terrible person, but being one of the most important literary figures in the 20th century, with Dali and Picasso being literal terrors, literal awful people, but being some of the most famous, recognized, and celebrated artists of the 20th century. I guess both things can exist at once. You know, so just think about that next time you go to an art museum and it's like, oh, persistence is a memory. Oh, he was a fascist. Fuck. He loved Hitler. He loved Adolf Hitler. Fuck. God damn it. Why can't you just paint a melting clock and be cool? Why can't you paint a melting clock and say freedom to all? Ugh. Why can't you paint the clock and say unionize the workers? <laughs> Dolly, come on. Anyway, at this time, consider this. So Dolly's doing all this with the fascism and whatever. Picasso is painting Guernica. And if you are a fan of mine, you know about Guernica. For the last time, I'm going to put it up here, okay? Guernica. This is a protest painting against the bombings, okay? Aerial bombings right before World War II of the Spanish city of Guernica. Innocent lives, uh, civilians, children's died. This was absolutely a display of power. It was nothing else. This is not to, to take out any supplies or any of these like a military base. Maybe no, this was a bombing of a civilian city. Picasso painted this and unveiled it at an exhibition because he was like, this is how do I take my rage and devastation at what's happening and show it, you know, of course, through his own filter his own lens and so we get this we get um the mothers crying out 
We get the dead soldiers on the floor with a flower in the barrel of the gun. We get the animals. We get this, this light at the top, okay? Like illuminating, that that could be the illumination of, of education and of peace. Everything's on fire. And also the artistic choice to put it in black and white. I can talk about it for hours, and I have. You can find stuff on my on my channel of me talking about Guernica. But this is happening. So we have Picasso having an absolute outrage. This is a the equivalent to, you know, a, a protest anthem of the time. This is protest art. And then you have Dali being the absolute opposite. And they're both supposed to be a part of this surrealist, cubist, fucking expressionism, everything. <laughs> There was tea, girl, I'm telling you. <laughs> the girls were fighting. Yeah, so I watched this video and I was like, are you serious? Are you serious? Go watch it. It was tea, though. Anyway, Luis Buñuel. This film that he did in collaboration, I believe, with Dali, 1929. Un Chant Andalou is a 1929 French silent short film directed by Luis Buñuel and written by Buñuel and Salvador Dali. I am so smart. Yeah, this is a famous screen grab from it. Uh, very disturbing. And he, sorry, this is kind of gross. It's an image of uh, a man holding a woman's eye open and a knife. They, they slice the eyeball in half. And it's like a goat's eye, like a dead goat's eye or something like that. And uh, very disturbing. Very fucking weird. Like my professor showed this to me in class. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Look at this. Hate it. And uh, Dali had this fascination with ants. Ants are a really common repetitive motif in his work. And so when I saw the ant imagery in this movie for the first time, I was like, okay, I, I guess I kind of see the correlation. Let's look it up. Ants symbolize death, decay, and the potential for destruction. Dolly repeatedly used ants in his work after seeing them eat the remains of small animals when he was young. That is so period. He was a fascist! No! No! Please, also, this video kind of described how, do I have to say this, dude? I'm not a historian. I'm not a politician. I am not a geopolitical major, okay? I am just, <laughs> I am just a beautiful blonde woman online, okay? Do not believe anything that comes out of my mouth. In this video, uh, I think it's by The Canvas. I think The Canvas? I love his channel. He's so fucking good. He was talking about how there is no unanimous sort of accepted real definition of what fascism is because it's taken so many different forms and people will mold the definition of fascism to whatever that movement specifically is or is turning into. So I thought that was interesting because there's been so many, you know, fascist uprisings or fascist leaders. And, and I don't know if there's any, there are so many differences between each sort of instance of it. So that's an also interesting tidbit to point out. Okay. So ants symbolize death decay and the potential for destruction. The insects and the persistence of memory. I'll put it up here. You guys know it. A fly on one clock face and the ants on the face down clock variously signify death, disintegration, and or a parasitic relationship with time. What does that mean? Also, I mean, anytime I read 
analyses on any of Dolly's works, I'm like, it's not to be taken. It's to be taken with a grain of salt, obviously, because like I always say, surrealism had no point. It had no, no purpose. It had no larger meaning. Dolly talked about how a lot of the ideas for his paintings came from the subconscious. It came from dreams, which don't make sense. So when I read stuff like that, 10 secrets you didn't know about, you know, I don't, sure this is like a fantastical sort of uh wouldn't it be cool but i don't know i don't know if i believe hold on yeti's doing shakers <laughs> she got an ad on this website yet yeti is doing shakers like like drink shakers that's crazy free holiday design i need to get into that you know i think i think honestly yeti in my mind let me just <laughs> hey let me just derail for a quick second. If you're in college or if you ever were in college, you know Yeti. Also, if you're a redneck, Yeti is that girl. Like if you are doing a drunken day, if you are doing beach day, if you're doing hiking, whatever, if you put an ice cube in a Yeti, that's staying for 24 hours, okay? Like you could fill up something with ice water and then the next day, maybe even a day and a half later, there is still ice in that fucking thing. I do love Hydro Flask as well. I think they both do it very well. But in my mind, Yeti is like, they're right, they're toe in toe. But Yeti is such a Southern thing for some reason because like frats used to decorate Yeti coolers with stickers. And like, it was also a thing like girls would decorate it for the guys. What the fuck are we doing? Southern white people trying to make up traditions. Okay, so we're going to put the stickers on the Yeti cooler and that's actually what everyone's going to do. It is a tradition now. When I heard that at a and I was like, Huh? <laughs> so you're doing sticker book on the Yeti. Okay, so we're doing sticker book on the Yeti. Like potty time. Like rewarding a toddler for when they go pee-pee. Okay, go get the sticker book. You put the sticker on the Yeti. <laughs> Good job, you pee-pee. We'll put a sticker on the Yeti. Huh? Okay. That was like a thing that just popped into my mind. I don't fucking know. Anyway, Yeti's doing <laughs> Yeti's doing shakers. <laughs> More you know. Uh okay fuck was I talking about? Take it with a grain of salt when people try to give you analyses and hidden meanings in surrealist paintings. Okay. Just wanted to throw that out there. Also in, uh, yeah. Ew. The Iceland. Ew. Actually don't put that up there. That's not, we can't put that on YouTube, but I'm pretty sure when Sean Andalou is on YouTube, like, I think you can watch it. Yeah. The full things right here. 1929. You can go watch it. Let me know your thoughts. It's kind of uh, hard to watch sometimes just because it's, it's, but how incredible is that, that a film from literally almost a hundred years ago, almost 100 years old, they had the, the resources and faculties of the time to make something that is still visually disturbing to us today. I think that's really cool. Even when I see uh, you know, screen grabs or, or scenes from Nosferatu, I get kind of like, it's freaky, dude. There's also something about this sort of vintage horror that's haunting. It's very haunting. And the almost, the, the campness of how they were trying to make it scary makes it even scarier. I don't know. I don't, I don't really, uh, I think they did another one together. Oh, here we go. We got a little, we got a little YouTube documentary on Buñuel, the provocateur. Yeah, I'll be watching this. 
The legendary Spanish filmmaker Luis Buñuel died in Mexico in 1983. Two years before, only two years, his second film was finally released in France, where it had been produced after years and years of prohibition. This alone shows how Buñuel's work has always been highly controversial. All of his films were very critical of the systems and powers that be, and one of his favorite targets was the Catholic Church, period. But he always mitigated his fierce critique with great talent, a very peculiar sense of humor, and with the heavy influence of one of the most relevant artistic movements of the 20th century, surrealism. In fact, Buñuel and iconic surrealist Salvador Dali were great friends in their youth, and they collaborated on Buñuel's first movie, the short film Un Chanon de Lue. In the video essay, we take a look back at the incendiary incendiary career of one of movie's greatest directors. That's crazy. Buñuel's short film L'Age d'Or, L'Age d'Or, another collaboration with Dali and his 1952 feature Robinson Crusoe are both available for streaming on Fandor. What the fuck is Fandor? That's tea. There has been a, a dissection of the structure of the podcast that I've seen in the comments. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, okay, so we have to do horny man hour for like 10 to 15 minutes. Then we're going to do deep introspective uh, art history, geopolitical sciences <laughs> uh, uh, rant for 20 minutes. Then we're going to do feminist rant. Then we're going to close it off with three songs of the week. Oh, speaking of which, songs of the week. Saw Hosier Saturday. Saw, saw Hosier him to death i took this video look look at this video i took this video of him and i literally okay i don't know how to describe this you've ever been so attracted to someone <laughs> that you get like shocked like i took a video of him and he was singing and he did this thing with his eyebrows where he was like focusing really hard and he looked kind of mad for a second and i was like <gasps> and i had to stop the video <laughs> i was recording and i literally go <gasps> and i had to stop it <laughs> I was so attracted to him. I had to stop the video. I had to look away. It was all consuming. I had to look away. Like, of course, of course, separately. Shut up, dude. His music and perspective have changed me as a person. Separately, he's hot. Separately, that's my baby's father. So, guys, okay. And when, when I finish my Zillow hunt and move to Ireland... Who's coming? Okay. We're going to do shift work for keeping the bees. We're doing shift work for foraging in the forest, foraging nuts and berries. Some of y'all, we're, we're breaking it off. Broski Nation, everyone huddle up. We're, we're sectoring off in the situation room over here. Who's foraging for nuts and berries? You guys. Okay. You guys over here tending to the bees. You guys, we've got goat sheep and cattle over in the pasture over there you guys have got to go milk them teeters over here guys hey horses i'm scared of horses so all you horse girls all the equestrian ladies you guys are going to go tame and keep the horses i will admire from far away they scare me also when horses fart that's terrifying also when horses fart first of all good one they sound good <laughs> good good reverberation good reverb Second, why do they jump up in the air when they shit their pants? <laughs> Have you seen those videos of horses farting and like throwing their back out? They do, oh, and they like throw their back and their tail goes and they kick their legs out. Horses are terrifying. I've been talking with Taylor for a while about how we want to do a YouTube video where we ride horses together. I'm going to literally cry. That's not going to be funny. It's, it's all fun and games until I start literally crying because I'm terrified. Okay. 
there is a line from the infamous movie that I keep talking about. One of the movies, one of the obscure movies that changed my life. Number one is Iron Man 2, but the one I'm talking about right now is another Robert Downey Jr. movie, and that's going to be Sherlock Holmes. And there's a scene in Sherlock Holmes where he's talking to Jude Law's character, uh, Watson. Holy shit, how did I just forget that? He's talking to Watson about uh, horses and about how he prefers like cars because this is like 1890-something. And uh, the Model T had just come out and all this. So they're driving cars. And it's the funny little ones with that honk-honk. And they're talking about horses. And he goes, they're dangerous on both ends and crafty in the middle. And I feel the same. Dangerous on both ends. They could kick you or bite you or ram their skull into you and crafty in the middle. That's where your junk is. You you got your cock and balls and vagino on the horse's back? Ow! Ow, ow, ow! <laughs> We're doing cock ball and vagino on the horse's back. I always wondered why cowboys walked like that. It's because their cock and ball had been crushed like a twig and berry. Because you're... Dun, 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 dun. Each down glide on your cock and ball. Ow! <laughs> Like, shut up. Like, stop fucking talking. You don't have to say everything that goes into your head. You don't have to voice every single thought that goes into your head. You don't have to do it. Anyway, horses scare the fuck out of me. All right. Did everyone get their assignments? Is everyone clear on where we stand? We got sector A, B, C, D, and E over here. You guys are with me. We're going to, we're going to read in the house. Also, I don't know where Andrew is. Okay, this is also, okay, in our house in Ireland. <laughs> Stupid. Okay, guys, stay with me. Okay, we're in the house in Ireland. Okay, it's like a little farm. It's like a little ranch. I am overseeing operations, okay? I am manager of operations. You guys are operations, okay? We've got a logistical team. Andrew is uh, on tour. So we are keeping the house safe and clean and domesticated for him because that's my that's my purpose in life okay it's not to spread joy it's not to spread laughter it's not to make y'all laugh it is to have a small ranch somewhere in ireland <laughs> keeping bees and tending to goats okay and am i allergic to goat's milk maybe love goat's cheese makes me fart like a bullhorn though foghorn what is a bullhorn Foghorn Leghorn. And guess what? Foghorn Leghorn, hot. Foghorn Leghorn. Look, he's hot. I have his body type. Foghorn sound. <laughs> bullhorn sound effect. Okay, so that's actually going to be a bullhorn. That's an air horn. What the fuck is a bullhorn? <laughs> okay. Bullhorn. Oh, it's it's a megaphone. Right? Megaphone. Versus bullhorn. Are they the same thing? Megaphones are also known as bullhorns and are instantly recognizable because of their distinctive conical or bell shape. Loud hailers also feature a conical or bell shape for the speaker, but are usually designed to mount onto a vehicle or structure, while megaphones and bullhorns are handheld. The more you know, 
So that shit on cop cars is called a loud hailer. We couldn't have come up with a better name for that, guys. Loud hailer. Okay, anyway, I hope everyone got their assignments for the week. We will check in next week to see how everyone is faring in their designated roles. If you have a complaint, please take it up with HR. I will warn you though, HR is incredibly understaffed because like I talked about last week, everyone in Broski Nation who holds a position of authority is actually going to be in my brain. It's little mini versions of me wearing different outfits and with different glam on, okay? It's kind of like that scene from SpongeBob. We talked about this last week. That is going to be HR. Now, if you contact HR and they do not answer, please allow for two to four weeks response time. I am busy, okay? I do care about what you have to say, but other things do take precedence. Like sometimes I need to take a nap. Sometimes I need to read my book. Sometimes I need to watch uh, YouTube video essays. Um, and sometimes I just need to like go for a drive. So if I don't get back to you, I am sorry. Uh, there is not much I can do about that personally. And yes, so I just kind of wanted to manage expectations there. Thank everyone for coming to this meeting. Your time and patience is appreciated. The docket will be posted outside for what we are going to be talking about next week. And with that being said, that will conclude today's Broski Nation Town Hall. Love you guys. And uh, I'm still honestly thinking about opaque, not meaning milky. What's the word for milky? Synonym for milky. Dude, I knew I wasn't fucking crazy. Milky. 25 synonyms. Frosted, pearly, opaque, alabaster, clouded, and lacteal. Oh, I hate lacteal. Like, like lactate. Dude, I knew opaque meant milky. Does opaque mean milky? Murky, cloudy, muddy. Yes, dude. Okay, so that makes sense. If it's milky, if it's cloudy and muddy, obviously light can't pass through. But there is some form of like brightness to it, kind of. At least in my mind. What does it mean if something is opaque? Not translucent. Okay, but I will say that. When, remember in the very beginning of this episode, I said... It's like uh, that kind of look that cataracts have where it's, it's like, it's like, it's milky. It's like something has, has a fog or mist has settled over the iris. That's in my mind, opaque. Like that's opacity, right? Opacity, opaqueness, opacity. The condition of lacking transparency or translucence, opaqueness. Oh, there's a formula for it. All right, guys, memorize this formula. We're going to be tested on it next week. Okay. Love you guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.